Amen. Lord, we do thank you and praise you, Lord, and we can't even begin can't begin to talk about what an incredible debt is owed by us to you. Lord, we can't begin to thank you enough for what you've already done. Lord, let alone what you're going to do for us and in us and through us and the promise of what's before us. So Lord, as we go to your word right now, may you be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to us. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. If you don't have a Bible in your hand, raise your hand because you're going to need one. Amen? What? Are we asleep tonight? All right. Okay. Very good. So raise your hand if you don't have a Bible because we will be giving you one. All right? I know some of you don't have a Bible. We don't have to do this, do we? It's in, it's in youth group anymore, right? All right. All right. Turn your Bibles to Joshua chapter 10. Continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. For those of you who may not have been here on Sunday, you know, last Wednesday night was a pretty phenomenal evening. If you weren't here, it was a blessing just to see what God did. A lot of people uh, making first-time confessions to the Lord and others rededicating their lives, marriages. Just a great time. And then Thursday, we went out to Monta Vista Christian School, and they did the same Pottersville ministry out there for about 800 high schoolers, and estimated 150 or so kids went forward there as well. So be praying for, for those who, again, have made, rededicated their lives. And, you know, may we as a body be as excited about every Wednesday night as we were last Wednesday. Amen? 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 So God bless you guys. All right, Joshua chapter 10. Now, those of you who might be here for the first time or just to catch you up because you forgot what I talked about two weeks ago, uh, Joshua is now the children of Israel entering into the land of promise. As we saw, they were delivered out of bondage in, in Exodus, a picture of the cross through Passover. Then in Leviticus, they received the law of God at Mount Sinai. Then in Numbers, they wandered through the wilderness because they refused to receive what God had commanded them to do. They, they rebelled against God. And then in Deuteronomy, the law was given to the next generation and preparing them to enter in. Now, Joshua is a picture as they go over the Jordan into Canaan of the Spirit-filled life. You know, they passed over the Red Sea, which is a picture of water baptism. And now as they went over the Jordan, it's a picture of being baptized in the Spirit, of walking in the center of God's will, of experiencing all that God has for you. And as we saw, as soon as they went into Canaan, as they finally entered in, the first thing they ran into was the greatest obstacle they would face. And that was the city of Jericho. If you remember, the Lord literally appeared in the flesh to Joshua and prepared him as a commander, to say, you're going to go and you're going to march around the city and the walls came down. And as we know, it was not something that the world would recommend. You know, it's not a great military strategy to go around and blow trumpets, okay? Not the best way to... We're not doing that in Iraq, all right? We're not doing that. It wouldn't be very effective unless God told us to do it. And so we know that by marching around it, they were looking at this mighty fortress for seven days, realizing how great the obstacle was. And the reason that God has us see how great the obstacles are is so we can see how great God is when He brings the obstacle down. Sometimes you pray and you wonder why God doesn't answer your prayer quicker because He wants you to see and know and understand how great He is when He delivers you from it. We got to chapter 8 and remember that they were to leave everything in Jericho but sadly Achan brought back some of the spoils. And then pride seeped into Joshua's heart. 
as they went out to fight Ai, but this time, instead of seeking the Lord, they just sent out a few men. Some spies came back and said, oh, it's a little city. We can take care of them. Just sent a couple thousand guys. And they went up, and they were soundly defeated. Why? Because they did it in the power of their flesh. May we never get to the point where we're trusting in our ability instead of being desperate for His. Amen? And so sadly, what happened, they failed miserably because they trusted in themselves. And then when they finally came before God, Joshua did. He said, there's sin in the camp. And Achan ended up being stoned to death, if you remember. Why? Because he had brought sin back into the camp. When you bring sin back into the camp, you affect, infect the entire camp. When you sin, you impact not only your own life, but the life of those around you. Dads, you bring sin back into your house, you're impacting your family. Moms, same thing. And so it's so important that the, the camp be cleansed. And then we got to chapter 9, and they went right back into Ai. But this time, they listened to the Lord, and they won a great victory. And remember, they received the spoils in Ai. If Achan had just waited for the Lord a few days, he would have received all that he thought he wanted and more. He would have received all that he took outside of God's will and more. Guys, God always has something better for you than what you think you need. He's got something even better. So trust Him. Put Him in control, not yourself. When we got to chapter 10 two weeks ago, we saw a great miracle that took place. If you guys remember the story surrounding the miracle, that God allowed a man, Joshua, to literally cause nature to change. How did He do that? He made what happen? The sun stood still. Now what's incredible about that is, and the title of the message was, where do you turn in times of difficulty? Where do you turn when things get tough? And remember, the the king, what did he do? The king turned to other people. Said, let you come help me. That's where I turn, and that's where I find my, in worldly resources, the king calls to the armies. But then the Gibeonites, now remember, how did the Gibeonites become allies of Israel? Well, they deceived Joshua. Joshua was marching along to the next city. The Gibeonites came out. They pretended to be from a faraway country. They obviously knew what the word said. Again, Joshua did not consult with the Lord, and he found himself unequally yoked together with the Gibeonites. Guys, gals, you're going to find yourself unequally yoked when you don't seek the Lord. When you allow your flesh to make the decisions instead of the spirit that lives within you, you're going to make wrong decisions. You're going to yoke yourself with an unbeliever in a partnership, in a business, and as a roommate, or worst of all, as a spouse. Now, if you're in that situation now, know that God can redeem it. Amen? Because we saw last time that even though the Gibeonites had tricked him, that now in chapter 10, the Gibeonites are being attacked by the, the major armies. They're all coming and attacking the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites quickly found out that when you align yourself with God, you become an immediate enemy of the world. As soon as you're on God's side, you're an enemy of the world. If God is for us, who can be against us? But we know that when we're with God, the world will hate us. So what happens is that now the Gibeonites are being attacked, and they turn and say to Israel, they call to Joshua, come and help us. Now Joshua had said, I won't kill you. He didn't say, I will help you. But praise God that Joshua was a man that went above and beyond his promises. That's the way you and I ought to be as Christians. We had to go above and beyond our word. Not just keeping our word, but going above and beyond it. And so what does he do? He goes out and he rescues them. And it's in the midst of fighting this great battle that he asks God to have the sun stand still so that he can defeat the armies. And that's exactly what happened last week. And so we saw that 
You can turn different places in times of difficulty. To the world, you can turn to an intercessor as they turn to Joshua, or you can turn directly to the Lord. And when we turn to the Lord, again, He will give us clear instruction. So Joshua believed God's word. He responded to God's word by doing exactly what God called him to do. And he went out and was a faithful man. And the sun stood still. Now we're going to look at the second half of the chapter this, this evening, beginning of verse 16. And I, I titled the message tonight, God's response to those who turn to him by faith. How does God respond when we've blown it and we turn to him by faith? How does God respond when we're walking in the center of his will and we say, Lord, show us your heart? How does God respond? How did God respond to the hundred or so people that came forward last week and either rededicated their lives or gave their lives to the Lord? How is He going to respond to us in the midst of great trials and difficulty if we turn to Him by faith? We're going to see tonight that there's three major ways. First of all, He's going to deliver them. He's going to deliver them from their present circumstances. You may be here tonight going through a real difficult time. God is faithful. Trust Him. And He will. This too shall pass. Amen? He will deliver you from it. Second of all, we're going to see that He's going to encourage them of future victory. When we go through trials, we grow. People say, yeah, I want to grow spiritually, but I don't want to go through any trials. Choose one. Okay? Because the truth is, you're either going to go through trials and grow, or you're not going to go through trials and you won't grow. And so... He encourages them through their trials that guess what guys, I'm never going to leave you. I'm always going to be with you. You know what's great? When you've been through difficulty and you've seen God show up, the next time difficulty comes, you're looking for Him to show up. Amen? But if you've never gone through a trial, you've never trusted in the Lord, you've never experienced His grace in that way, you'll never learn to truly have that deep kind of faith. And then lastly, He's going to strengthen them to face each battle one at a time. Again, learning to walk in victory. 2 Corinthians says this, But we all are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So let's begin in verse 16. God's response to those who turn to Him by faith. He's going to deliver, encourage, and strengthen. That's what He wants to do with each one of us tonight. So begin in verse 16. But these five kings had fled and hidden themselves in the cave of Makedah. Now, who are these five kings? Remember, these were the guys who had banded together with their physical strength to come out and fight against Joshua and the children of Israel. Now, one of the things we're going to see in tonight's text is a lot of end-time types. Because if you remember last week, the main king that was listed, his name was what? Adonai Zadok. And his name means Lord of Righteousness. Okay? And he is a type or a picture of the Antichrist. Because here he is mounting up in the flesh a great physical army to go out and attack Joshua. Joshua's name is also transliterated what? Jesus, Yahshua, Jesus. Moses couldn't bring them into the land of promise. Jesus, Yahshua had to. We can't get into heaven through the law. We must come through the shed blood of Christ. And so we see here now that this false Lord of righteousness mounts up an army, a great army, to go out and physically attack Joshua, much like will happen in the valley of Armageddon one day. When that great battle takes place, when all the great armies of the world will come against not Joshua, but Jesus. And they will lose that battle. Now, they're so confident that they left their fortresses behind and they went out to fight Israel in open territory. And this fleshly confidence will become a quick road to destruction. 
You know, it's foolish to enter into a spiritual battle in the strength of your flesh. You're going to lose every time. And you know, one of the biggest, the biggest things that we can fall into is pride. As Christians, maybe you're walking with the Lord 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You can get to the point where you think, well, I've read every Bible story. I've read it all. I know it all. I'm, I'm walking with the Lord so long. And you know what, guys? The longer you walk with the Lord, the more humble you ought to be. The longer you walk with the Lord, the more desperate you ought to be. You know, you saw it in the Apostle Paul. He went from being, you know, the chief apostle to the least of all the sinners, the chief of sinners. The least of the apostles, the chief sinner. What happened? He got to know God better. And the more he got to know God, he saw his own frailty. Well, these guys, the exact opposite end of the spectrum, they thought in their physical power they could overpower the God of Israel and overpower Joshua. These one-time physically confident leaders of these great armies quickly became fearful, self-centered cowards. Look what happens. They go out leading their armies, and now where do you see them? Running into caves. This is not a good trait for a general. Your army's out fighting the battle, and you're running into a cave. And you notice, it's just the five kings. They saw, we're getting whipped, let's get out of here. You don't want this guy leading your army who's going to bail out and leave his people to die and run away in his own. Now remember, from the last chapter, something else was happening that caused them to run. Not only were they being attacked with the swords of the children of Israel, but something else. What was happening? Hailstones were falling from the sky. Giant hailstones. And what's incredible, I believe this is as great a miracle as the sun standing still, is these hailstones only killed the enemies of Israel and never touched a single Israelite. Tell me God's not in that. God has not appointed us to wrath, amen? And so these hailstones are falling from the sky. These guys, you know, you can, how do you fight hailstones? I mean, you can fight somebody with a sword. What do you do when hailstones are falling from the sky? Giant hailstones. You run away. That's what these guys did. They said a cave is probably the only place we're going to be safe. They left their armies behind and they ran away. They fled into these caves and they hid. Once confident in their own strength, they abandon the battle and their armies and they run into caves and hide. You know what? We're going to see a another striking similarity here again to the book of Revelation. Because in Revelation 6, verses 15 through 17, it says this. I'll just read it to you. You can look at it later. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and free man, hid themselves in caves and in the rocks and the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne, from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, who is able to stand? These guys understood that verse already. Though it, was, it has yet to be fulfilled, it's in the future, these guys understood it. 1,400 years ago, 3,400 years ago. They understood it. How did they understand it? They understood that there was no way to fight the God of Israel. And guys, there's no way to fight the God of Israel. So too, all today, who are arrogant and prideful and come against the Lord, will one day be broken before Him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. These great and mighty armies who thought they were going to go out and fight against Almighty God, their kings end up running into caves and hiding Verse 17, and it was Joshua saying, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. Guys, you can't hide from God, and you can't hide from His judgment. They thought they'd run into a cave and be safe. We're out of sight, we're out of mind. If I'm here and nobody sees me, I'll be okay. You know what? We cannot hide our sin from the Lord. 
Your sin will surely find you out. Isn't that true? How many know that firsthand? Your sin will surely find you out. You're just cruising along. Nobody knows, but God does, right? And he always tells somebody. Always tells somebody. And praise the Lord for that, right? So Joshua knew where they were, and Jesus knows where you are. Amen? Joshua means Jesus. Jesus knows exactly where you are with him. You can tell people all day long, oh, I believe in Jesus, and that's, that's fine. I believe there's a God. That's great. I've, I, I go to church. I, I believe the Bible. You know, all those things are good. But it's, do, you know what? I, I'd like to ask this question instead. Do you have an intimate relationship with Almighty God through the person of His Son? Do you have a relationship with Him? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? What are you talking about? Do you worship Him? Worship? What's that, right? Oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Buddha. I believe in everything, right? This is Santa Cruz. I believe in every God down the pike, and hopefully one of them will do something for me when I die. That's not the relationship we're supposed to have with God, amen? And so the Lord knows where we're at. Joshua knew where they were, and Jesus knows exactly where you are tonight, verse 18. And he says, So Joshua said, Roll large stones against the mouth of the cave, and set men by it to guard them. Does that sound familiar or what? These guys were in a cave, they rolled stones in front of it, and they set a guard outside. Now this time, they set a guard there because these guys who are inside are alive, right? So I guess these guys who set the guard weren't so stupid after all in the New Testament. Because guess what? He's going to be alive, amen? Three days later, he did raise from the dead. So the stones were rolled into place. The, uh, the first case of the rolling stones, I guess. They, they roll these stones into place to keep the king's... Well, they guys look really old, so you never know. Maybe they were there. <laughs> So this, I know, youth pastors, just, right. So the stone was rolled into place to keep the kings inside until the appropriate time of judgment. And the guards were used to keep them from escaping. And again, 1,400 years, guards were used to keep the crucified king of kings from escaping, which is, of course, we know, an impossible task. And they failed miserably. These five strong kings in their flesh could not escape righteous judgment. But the king of kings... And Lord of Lords took the judgment upon himself and he would deliver himself out of the cave. Amen? These guys would be unable to do it. Why? Because they're sinners in need of a Savior. The stone was rolled away and we are bound by death no more. But these guys could not roll the stone away and they were going to be bound by the judgment of their sinfulness. Look at verse 19. And do not stay there yourselves, but pursue your enemies and attack their rear guard. Do not allow them to enter their cities, for the Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. Do not stay there yourselves, but pursue the enemy. Even though he had the five kings right where he wanted them, Joshua would not stop doing what God had told him to do until it was done. That is a great lesson for all of us. Amen? You know what? We're so easily distracted. We're busy about what God has for us right here and something else comes. Well, maybe I'm supposed to do this too, right? And we're running around looking for the newest and latest thing. I have, you know, I've had several people in ministry, I call them flavor of the month. They come to you one month and tell, I'm called to do this, and God told me, and then the next month, but God told me, and the next month, but God told me. So either God's lying or you are, amen? Because God's not changing His mind, Amen? God doesn't change his mind. He wants to change our hearts. 
And sadly, what happens is sometimes where God's called us to do this, and maybe something else looks a little greener, something else looks a little more challenging. And instead of just being faithful where we are, we want to run and go do something else. Can I encourage you? Be faithful where you're at, and when you're finished there, God will let you know. Amen? And Joshua's heart was, I got five guys in the cave. God put them there. He used the hailstones. Where are they going? Put some stones there. You know, put some guards there. And let's go finish what we're called to do before we deal with them. Let's be the spiritual leader in our home first, dads, before we try to run out and do 500 other things in ministry. Begin there. Be faithful to your first calling. If you're called to... If you're called to come early and set up chairs, then do it as unto the Lord. And if you do anything else, make sure that, that God's releasing you from this. Amen? Be faithful. Bloom where you're planted. Joshua saw it and said, hey, God will take care of them. I know I'm supposed to wipe them out completely. I'm not going to stop short. I'm going to be faithful and do what God has called me to do. Remember this, that the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. If you're confused, that's not God, that's you. Amen? He's not confusing you. The Holy Spirit has a plan. He will not lead you away in the midst of what God has called you to do, not before He's through with you. Certainly there's times, it's happened to all of us. It's happened to me. I was a youth pastor in Southern California. I was doing the youth, I was doing the men's ministry, I was teaching in the prison, and I could never imagine leaving that church because everything was so fruitful by the grace of God. And finally, the pastor had to kick me out. Literally. He called me in one night and he said, Dave, let your wife go home. I need to talk to you. And he goes, you're done in the youth group. You're done in the men's ministry. And I got someone else to take over the prison starting next week. It's time for you to go start a church. Go. He said, because if, if I don't kick you out, you'll never leave. And you know what? He was right. Because there's a part of you that, you know, I don't want to leave those precious sheep you're ministering to. Amen? You don't want to just leave. Well, God, but God knows and God will raise somebody else up. And there is a time when it does happen. But make sure that the Lord is moving you, that you're not just running away because it's tough where I'm at. I found this, that God rarely leads you away when it's tough. He keeps you there when it's tough. Amen? And once everything seems to be just smooth sailing, okay, time to go. But God, we got through all the waves. I know, that's why I wanted you here. I wanted you to grow through the waves. Now that it's smooth sailing, give it to someone else. And that's often what God does. So if it's tough, don't move when it's tough. Wait till God smooths things out. Wait till you go through the trial He has for you before you move on to what is next. He says there, The Lord your God has delivered them into your hand. You know, I love this. We've said this many times. As Christians, we fight from victory, not for victory. The battle belongs to whom? The Lord. He's already won. So the battle's already been won. He says, right in this verse, the Lord God, God has delivered them into your hand. From God's eyes, it was good as done. It's already a done deal from the perspective of Almighty God. Are you fighting from victory or are you fighting for victory? Are you striving in your flesh trying to make things happen? Joshua knew what the Lord had called him to do and the kings could wait until he'd fulfilled God's command because he knew that they had to finish what God had before them, and that God had delivered them into His hand. Verse 20. Then it happened while Joshua and the children of Israel made an end of slaying them with a very great slaughter till he had finished, that those who escaped entered fortified cities. Joshua and the army of Israel went after the soldiers of the five armies until they were finished, slaughtered them all. Now a few did escape, 
Now remember, these guys were so arrogant that they left their fortresses behind and went out and fought Israel in the open air. Again, really poor military strategy unless you're very arrogant. And they went out and said, we'll just fight them out in the middle of the open and we'll go after them. Well, some of these people, when the hailstones started falling and people were dying by the sword, ran home. The kings ran to the cave, some people ran home. Hey, I, you know, if you don't know God, that's probably a good strategy. Run home. So they ran back to the fortresses where they came from, and some of them did escape, but it's only prolonging the inevitable, as we're going to see at the end of this chapter. They ran back to a fortress like that was going to keep them from God somehow. Sometimes we think, you know, you go to church, and maybe you're convicted, and maybe I need to give my life to the Lord. I'm just going to stop going to church. I'm going to go home. I won't be so convicted anymore. You're prolonging the inevitable. Amen? God is, you're still going to stand before God one day. And these guys ran away, and some of them got away, but for the most part, they had been faithful, they finished what God called them to do, and they slaughtered them. Now, again, isn't it tough sometimes, you think about God slaughtering, ordering people to be slaughtered, and you think, that just doesn't seem right. Know this, God is faithful, holy, righteous, and just in all that He does. Amen? You need to know the character of God. This may be a poor analogy, but I think of it this way when I was a youth pastor. I think of these people as rabid dogs. What do I mean by that? They're already going to die. They've already made their decision. They've already rejected God. And he's putting the dogs down so they don't infect the people. Does that make sense? They're like rabid dogs. They're coming in. If you leave them in the camp, they've already made their decision. Does God already know? Of course he does. So he's not putting to death people that would have repented had they lived another week. That's not how our God operates, amen? Well, I know you would have, but I'm going to kill you now so you don't get a chance to love me. God would never do that. But they're like rabid dogs, and he puts them down. Why? So they don't infect the people. And so this great slaughter takes place. And these people were fighting from victory. They're still faithful to do their part. They were willing to be tools in the hands of the master. Even though God said, I've delivered them, they still did their part. You know what, guys? I believe that God is going to reach this county. But God wants us to do our part. Amen? We're tools in the hands of the master. Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, needs Jesus big time. Amen? And so at the same time, God wants to use us. And may we be willing and just as willing to invite people on Sunday as we did last Wednesday when there were 470 people in this gym. That's because you guys said, you know what? I'm going to invite my unsaved neighbors. Some of you were blown away. I invited my neighbor. They showed up. Imagine that. (laughs) They won't show up if you don't invite them. Amen. And we're not trying to build Calvary Chapel. We just want to see people saved. Amen. We want to build the kingdom of God. We want to see people's lives transformed, see them born again, become new creations in Christ. They remained faithful and diligent until they were finished. Verse 21. And all the people returned to the camp, to Joshua at Makeda, in peace. No one moved his tongue against any of the children of Israel. Now how often do you see that about the children of Israel? Almost never. You know this is a spirit-filled life because all they did before they went over the Jordan is wine. That's all they did. It was the three million winer church. I said, Mo, I'm going to give Moses a hug and go, God bless you, brother, when I see him in heaven. Can you imagine pastoring a church of three million winers? Murmuring and complaining, wanting to go back into bondage? That's who they were. And now look, they've gone over the Jordan. 
The picture of the Spirit-filled life, and nobody within or without the camp moved their tongue against Israel. Now we know why the unbelievers weren't moving their tongue against Israel. Because they saw what God was doing in and through Israel. But I think often the greatest place where the tongues start wagging is within the body itself. By the way, guys, gossip is sin. Do you know that? It's sin. Who is the father of lies? Okay, so you want to be Satan-like? Exaggerate, gossip, lie. And we should not do that. Prayer praise, amen? Say something nice. If you can't do that, pray for him. If you can't do the one, be quiet. <laughs> so hard for us. You know, we have two ears and one mouth. We ought to use them proportionately, amen? <laughs> listen twice as much as we talk. So all the people returned. And notice this. They come back from battle, and it says there, they all returned to the camp in peace. Nobody in this battle died. Enemy, all dead. Believers, all delivered. That's exactly what's going to happen on Judgment Day. Amen? Not some of the believers delivered. All of them. Aren't you glad? At the same time, all the wicked separated from God. All those who rebel. All those who will not repent. By the power of God's mighty hand, Israel's armies... Enemies were soundly defeated, and no one spoke a word against Israel or any of its inhabitants. As the people of Canaan knew beyond any doubt that Almighty God was with Joshua and the nation of Israel. And note the powerful witness came through what? How did they get this great witness? Where did this testimony come from? Why is it the people will not say anything bad about the God of Israel? Because the the children of Israel went through great warfare, and God showed up. How are we going to have a testimony before the world? We're going to go through great difficulty. We're going to trust God. We're going to move in faith. God's going to show up, and then God's going to be glorified. You want to have a testimony? Get ready for the test. You've heard me say it. Without a test, there can be no testimony. Amen? Without a trial, without difficulty, there's no way we're going to shine brightly before a lost and dying world. And so the same is happening here. They saw how God showed up in the midst of great difficulty, and they said, man, your God is God. We can't speak a word against him. I'm amazed. People with terminal illnesses will tell me how many people they got to witness to. Diagnosed with cancer, shared my faith with hundreds of people. Why? Because with great tests comes a great opportunity. And a great opportunity to see God move in a mighty and a powerful way. The enemy's respect was so great, no one moved his tongue. And our testimony speaks the loudest as we remain faithful in the midst of the greatest trials. May we be able to say the same within the church. May our tongues never speak against God or His people. Is God good? How often? All the time. Amen? And He's always faithful, always righteous, always just. Even when there's been a great slaughter, we need to learn to trust in the Lord. When you lose your job, praise God anyway. Amen? Diagnosed with cancer, praise God anyway. Guys, guess what? We die, where are we? We're in heaven. Nobody dies too early. I've done funerals for young people. And, you know, we say, oh, it's so tragic, they died so young. It's so tragic, they're in the presence of Almighty God, no more weeping, no more suffering, no more death, no more sorrow. They're hugging Jesus right now, poor person. No, it's us, amen? Now, we miss them, and we weep because we miss them. But you know what? Their life wasn't cut short. They got promoted early. They graduated early, amen? Got to be in the presence 
of Almighty God. We need to learn to trust God no matter what our circumstances. So God's response to those who turn to Him by faith, first, He delivers them from their present battle. God desires to deliver you from the present circumstances you're in. Secondly, He encourages you of future victory, that He'll always be with you. Look at verse 22. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings to me from the cave. Verse 23. And they did so and brought out those five kings to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmoth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. These mighty kings were brought out that they might be judged openly and publicly. Note the path of these kings. They came out in pride, arrogance, fleshly confidence against Almighty God, soon found themselves to be defenseless. They ran and hid in the cave, and in the end, they could not escape God's righteous judgment. This is the story of every prideful man who rejects God. I've had people say to me, well, if there's a God, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a discussion with Him. You ever heard people like that? i got a few things to ask God if there's a God. I'm like, bro, you're going to be flat on your face weeping. You're not going to be asking any questions. Oh, right? And it's going to be too late. Amen? Weep now and rejoice later. Or live a sinful life now and weep later. Amen? I tell you what. Die twice and live forever. Die to yourself. Die to the person that you are. Become a new creation in Christ and you'll live forever in Him. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. These guys go out thinking there's something. If you didn't know it already, without Him we can do what? Nothing. And you've heard me say in the original language where nothing means nothing. So we can do nothing apart from Him. And if we're doing anything, then He should get all the glory. Amen? So these guys go out in arrogance, they think there's something special, they go to fight, before they know it, they're running in the cave, they're defenseless. The same arrogant people walking around the planet today are going to face that same kind of judgment. And so they're brought before, the, before Joshua, verse 24. So it was when they were brought out, those kings to Joshua, that Joshua called for all the men of Israel. Now why did he do this? He calls all the men of Israel out. Get out here. I want you to see this. Everybody come out here. We got the five kings here, the guys who attacked us, the guys who rebelled against God. I want you all out here to witness what's about to happen. Is this some morbid thing? No. He wants them to see, again, the power and the greatness of their God. He wants them to have, again, a faith in things going forward, that all would witness both the enemy's defeat and God's righteous judgment. Look what he says to them. And said to the captains of the men who went of war who went with him come near and put your feet on the necks of those kings things have changed a little bit for these kings <laughs> they went from being arrogant and going out in their own power to now they're laying on the ground with the children of israel standing on their neck i can think of very few positions that would be more humiliating than that very few positions more defenseless than that I remember one time i was working at uh, 7-Eleven here in town when I was in high school and the graveyard guy would not show up about every fourth night, which I really appreciated. I'm in school and he would just not show up. So I'd have to work all night. And I remember one time, about 3 o'clock in the morning, these three guys came in and, you know, basically robbed me. Well, 
they were running out the door, and two of them got in the car, and the third one didn't quite make it. Because I grabbed him from behind and drug him back into the 7-Eleven and stood on his neck while I dialed 911. <laughs> How's it feeling down there? Not too good. And you know what? He couldn't move real well. And he, these guys, these guys are kings. Imagine kings having their necks stand on by, stood on by their enemy. Faces, where's your face when, you're, when someone's standing on your neck? It's in the dirt. Their faces are in the dirt. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, right? We're going to be face first, either repenting or in a time of great judgment. Here they are, face first. These guys are standing on their necks. This was an Eastern, Eastern custom of conquerors. It's often found in pictures in Egyptian and Syrian monuments. Symbol of complete and total defeat of the enemy. It served as a picture to all of Israel of the relative power of the earthly kings compared to the true and living God. The enemy's heads are being crushed under the feet of Almighty God. There, you know what? No, there's no enemy that we should worry about. Amen? Now there is an enemy. It's a spiritual battle. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And Satan already sees his future. And that's why... He is as combative as He is. And it says there, come and put your feet on their necks. And they drew near and put their feet on their necks. So the hope that these kings that were once feared, now they see them in a different light, don't they? They're defeated because God is on their side. Verse 25, Then Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. This is an object lesson. Guys, when we go through trials, they're object lessons. God's teaching us something for the future. And they're standing on their necks and He says, don't be afraid because every enemy you fight is going to end up in the same spot. Learn to trust God. Don't be afraid now that you've been cured of cancer because God's going to be with you no matter what you go through in the future. Don't be afraid because your finances are a mess and God's brought you out of it. Trust and know that God will bring you out of it in the future. Fighting from victory, not fighting for victory. And these are the same words that the Lord spoke to Joshua in chapter 1. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. Fear, anxiety, and worry are all the opposite of faith. God has not given us the spirit of fear. Amen? We have nothing to be afraid of. We just trust in the Lord. So it says there, For thus the Lord will do to all the enemies against whom you fight. This is going to be a constant reminder when they're out in battle and they were overwhelmed. I don't know for sure that it ever happened. Can you imagine though? They turn and said, remember? Standing on the necks. Remember that? Remember what God did to those other kings? Don't you remember what God did before? We can trust Him to do it again. The future kings they would battle are seen as being crushed under their feet, not as overwhelming giants. This sounds great for them. What about us? Okay, great. They've got their army under their feet. Isaiah says this, No weapon that is formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. Their righteousness is of me, says the Lord. In Ephesians 6, we'll look at in a couple weeks, Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We have an enemy, but he's a defeated foe. Don't give Satan too much credit. 
Too often people walk around defeated. Oh, the devil's on me again. It's the demon of this, the demon of that. It's the spirit of this. It's the spirit of that. The demon of chocolate. I've been told that one. You know, Easter's come and pray for me, Pastor, to be delivered from the demon of chocolate. Demon of chocolate already, all right? Amen? Don't give the devil so much credit. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Psalm 110, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. I put them under your feet. First Corinthians says, for he must reign till he has put all his enemies under his feet. You know what it's speaking of? Jesus. That's the God that we serve. Verse 26. And afterward, Joshua struck them and killed them. So they only, not only were they humiliated, but they were put to death. And then after they were dead, he hanged them, he hanged them on five trees, and they were hanging on the trees until evening. So Joshua executes these kings and then hangs them on trees until sundown. The Bible says, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Do we see some Jesus in this chapter? You got guys hanging on trees and they're getting ready to be put back into caves and have stones rolled over them. What does that sound like? It all points again to our Savior. It makes it clear to all of Israel that there is going to be no accommodation for the enemies of God. He makes it clear. What does he do? He's making a public stand, statement. He hang, they're already dead, so why is he hanging them on a tree? To let everybody know this is not going to be tolerated by God. Those who rebel will face his judgment. We're to make no provision for the flesh, and we're not to be unequally yoked with the world. Verse 27. So it was at that time of the going down of the sun that Joshua commanded, they took them down from the trees and cast them into the cave where they had been hidden and laid large stones against the cave's mouth mouth which remains to this very day now five kings five trees taken down at nightfall put into caves stones covering the mouth of the caves what does that sound like when jesus crucified they took him down before nightfall right because they were afraid of defiling passover the sabbath before passover it cracks me up they didn't want to defile passover so they took the passover lamb down off the cross They so clearly missed it. And so all of this is pointing to Christ. But here's the difference. What does it say at the end of verse 27? Which which remain until this very day. These dead guys were thrown into a cave. A stone was rolled over. Guess what? Their bones are still there. Dust now, but their bones are still there, right? But with Jesus, He paid the price for us, and the stone's been rolled away. And he's not there anymore. Those of you going to Israel with us, we're going to go into the tomb, and you're going to see that Jesus is not there anymore. Every time they walked by and saw those stones, they would remember the hand of God at work. So lastly, we've seen that God's response to those who turn to him by faith, he delivers them from their present battle. He encourages them a future victory. He lets them know, look, I'm with you. My hand is upon you. Go forward with faith because I've defeated the kings behind you and I'm going to defeat the ones in front of you. Lastly, he strengthens them to face each battle. Now look at this. He's going to give us a list here, one at a time. And while we're going to read through this list fairly quickly, a bunch of different names, we're going to read through it quickly, but understand that for them, each one of these was a major battle. Each one of these was fighting a mighty fortress. But God brought them down. Look at verse 28. On that day Joshua took Makeda and struck it, and its king with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them, all the people who were in it. He let none remain. 
He also did to the king of Makedah as he did to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed by Makedah and all Israel with him to Libna, and they fought against Libna. And the Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel, and he struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it, but did to its king as he did to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua passed from Libna and all Israel with him to Lachish. And they encamped against it and fought against it. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day, and struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done in Libna. Then Horam, king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish, and Joshua struck him and all his people until he left none remaining. So we see here that a king comes to aid Lachish because Lachish had no king. Their king was dead. He'd been hung from a tree, right? He'd been hiding in a cave. And someone else said, well, we'll help them. They don't have a king. How'd that work out? Not too good. We want to make sure we only serve the king of kings. Amen? And so they went and they tried to aid them, and they were wiped out as well. Verse 34. From Lachish, Joshua passed to Eglon, and all Israel with him. And they camped against it and fought against it. They took it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword. And all the people who were in it were utterly destroyed that day, according to all they had done to Lachish. Now... Eglon, Libna, Makeda, Lachish were all major fortresses right in the center of Canaan. And they were starting to move south. And he's using the divide and conquer method. Because what he's doing here is he's wiping out every one of the kingdoms to the south. And we get to chapter 11 next week. He's going to go up north and wipe all of them out. So he starts in the middle. He, he destroys all of them. He's moving to the south. He's headed down and he's going to wipe out all the major cities along the way. Look what it says there. Verse 36 to 39. So Joshua went up from Eglon and all Israel with him to Hebron and they fought against it. Now Hebron and Deber, which is the next one we're going to see, were the two greatest cities in the south. And again, it's easy just to read this, but understand these were great tests of their faith every single time. It's real easy to find out about stuff that other people went through, right? You know, I lost my job for a while. Oh, really? I'm sorry to hear that. You know, I wonder what I'm going to have for lunch, right? I mean, we forget. They're like, man, I had been in my job for a year. I was beating the pavement, man. I was down to my last quarter, and God got me a job. That was major for them, amen? But they tell you, yeah, I lost my job for a while. Then I went through some struggles in my marriage. Oh, really? Okay. And for them, it was major. We're reading this list, we're like, Hebron, okay, don't wipe them out. Lachish, yeah, took care of them, right? But for them, each one of them was a major battle. They must have thought, you know, as they're going through and wiping them all out, they could have easily said, how many more of these are we going to have to fight? When's this going to be over? Lord, how about the hailstones again? Those were good. <laughs> Just drop some of those. Let us sit here and eat food and you drop hailstones. And tell us about it, or let us watch from the hill, right? And often that's what we want to do, but God says, no, you're not going to grow sitting on the hill. You're going to grow in the front lines of the battle. You're going to grow in the middle of the trials. But for Israel, each of these is a major conflict, a test of their faith. None was easy, but each victory caused them to grow. And so too for you and I, each trial, each test produces growth. You know the people I admire the most in ministry? Are the people that have gone through the most tests and continue to be faithful. I've told you, my, my favorite Bible teacher, one of them, I have several, but one of them is a guy named John Corson. And his wife was killed in a car accident. 
And then some years later, his daughter was killed in a car accident on the same road. And the guy just keeps serving God. And he has a peace in the midst of it. And I'm like, all right, there's somebody I want to listen to. There's someone who's, you know, been spending some time with God. Amen? One thing to be on the cruise ship to heaven. Amen? One thing when you've got all the money in the bank and everything's perfect and you're walking with God. When you're Job before the trial. Amen? And it's another thing to be Job in the trial. It's another thing to be the one losing everything and still saying, though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Amen? Come to that place. May trials bring us there. Verse 37, And they took it, Hebron, and struck it with the edge of the sword, its king, and all its cities, and all the people who were in it, and left none remaining, according to all he had done to Eglon, but utterly destroyed it, and all the people who were in it. Then Joshua returned, and all Israel with him to Debir, and they fought against it. And he took it and its king and all its cities, and they struck them with the edge of the sword and utterly destroyed all the people who were in it. He left none remaining, as he had done in Hebron, so he did to Debir and its king, as he did, had done also to Libna and its king. So he's wiped out all the cities going to the south. And now Joshua has conquered all the land from one victory to the next victory. Look at verse 40. So Joshua conquered all the land. Again, if he had ran away at the sign of the first fortress, he would have never seen all that God was going to do. Remember last week when Mike Rozelle talked about that? He's talking about how God was putting on his heart to sponsor one child. And he was like, but I don't have any money, and I'm in ministry, and I live in a tiny little apartment. And, and all the time he's flipping his remote, right? And the Lord says, how much is that, remote, how much is that cable? $32 a month. How much is a sponsored child? $30 a month. And he said, I don't want to sponsor one. And now through their ministry, they sponsored 20,000 kids. But he said, you know, I don't want you to think that that... I don't want to sponsor one. If he hadn't sponsored one, he never would have sponsored 20,000. Amen? If Joshua had went out when they got to Jericho, they never would have wiped out all the other armies. If we run into the first trial and we go, oh, I'm, not, I'm just not up for this. This ministry thing, this is too tough. Being, a Christ, being vocal about my faith at work, they just talk about, I'm just not going to do it anymore. Okay. And you know what? We're going to miss out on what's next. Amen? We're going to miss out on all that God had for you behind that first fortress that ran into you right away. God has greater thing he, things He wants to do beyond what's in front of us. We need to just remain faithful with what's before our eyes right now. Be faithful with what's in front of you that you may go deeper in the things of God. Look what it says there. We're almost done. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country, the south, and the lowland, and the wilderness slopes, and all their kings. He left nothing remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed as the Lord God of Israel had commanded. Utterly destroyed all that breathed. Not as what seemed right to him, but what as the Lord had commanded. Guys, we need to stop thinking about what seems right to us. But I think, so what, you think? <laughs> Amen? Well, I think, I think we ought to do this. Well, okay. You got a verse for that? Well, not really, but I think. Well, so what? And too often, we get caught up in what we think. And let me tell you something else. As parents, your kids are going to think. So what? But I think, so what? I'm your, I'm your dad. And we're not doing that. Amen? Because here's what the Bible says. Let's, uh, let's you know, not be afraid to be parents. Amen? 
Not be afraid to say, but here's what God says, and that's what we're doing, and I don't care what everybody else is doing. He could have said, but everybody else, that's not what he said, but the God, God told me, wipe them out. I'm doing what God says. Look at all the riches. God said, wipe them out. But we could take them back and say, wipe them out. God told me. Trust God. Trust his word. Not what you think. Verse 41, your emotions will lie to you every time. And Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. Interestingly enough, Kadesh Barnea is where the previous generation was supposed to cross over the Jordan. And they didn't do it. Why? There's giants in the land. They didn't trust God's word. They trusted what they thought. Amen? Where the previous generation should have entered in, Joshua and Israel conquered the entire southern part of the country. Verse 42, all these kings in their land Joshua took at one time. A better translation there is one at a time. So not all at once. Don't we want God's will for us all at once? I do. How about you? Lord, give me patience right now. Right? You know, that kind of thing. We want God to give us what we want, but we want it all right now. And God says, no, take the first step. One at a time. Be faithful in the small things, and I will bless you in the great things. A piece at a time, in God's timing, according to His will. They weren't just cities, but military strongholds, and God brought them down. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. Guys, you don't pull strongholds in your life down through your effort. How's that working out for you? I'm just not going to do that anymore. Have you ever done that? Have you ever done that? Lord, that's it. I'll never do that again. And then the next day, you're Lord. Lord, I'll never do that again, really. And then two days later, Lord, I really, really never do that again. You know why? Because you're trying to do it. You can't do it. Without Him, you can do nothing. It says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through, the, through God for the pulling down of strongholds. You want the stronghold of whatever you're struggling with to come down? Turn your life over to the Lord. Quit trying to do it yourself. Be desperate for God. Seek first His kingdom. Be hungry for Him. Be filled with His Holy Spirit. Because the Lord God fought for Israel, it says in that, look what it says there. All these kings of their land, Joshua took one at a time because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel, as he is always willing to do if they would simply submit to him. He provides the victory we walk in at last verse. Then Joshua returned all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. The Bible tells us we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. Through the work of the cross, fighting alongside the Lord or against Him. Choose one. Are you fighting with Him or against Him? In the last verse there, they went back to Gilgal. Remember, Gilgal is where they had built a monument unto the Lord. It's where the tabernacle dwelt. It's where the memorial to God was. It was their place of praise and worship. Guys, you want to go and get rejuvenated? That's where you need to be. In the intimate presence of Almighty God. Amen? A place where you worship Him, a place where you study His Word, a place where you seek His face, a place where you have quiet time with Him. It's amazing how the trials are no big deal when you spend time in prayer, when you spend time in His Word. When you understand the greatness of our God, our trials become very small. This is a place of total faith and commitment and fellowship, a place where Israel had been conquered by God. Victory begins with brokenness, surrender, intimacy, and obedience. Guys, it begins when we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. When I stop trying to do it myself and I give my life completely to the Lord. 
Paul, John the Baptist. Jesus said of men born among women, none greater than John the Baptist. And John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. No matter how great you're doing, there's got to be less of you and more of him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, for the promises you've given us to respond when we turn to you by faith. Lord, you desire to encourage those who are discouraged. You desire, Lord, to strengthen those who are walking broken and weak. You desire to lift them up so they might serve and walk with you. Father, I pray, Lord, help us in the midst of trials, not to try to run to a cave, but, Lord, to run to you. The word of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. And Lord, may we run to you, run to your word, seek your face. Lord, may we not try to bail out, but Lord, stand in the midst of it so we might see you move in a mighty and a powerful way. May our eyes not be on the storm, but be upon our master. Because Lord, while the waves kick up, we know that you're still in control. So Father, be with us, strengthen us, Lord. May we learn from the example, Father God, of the children of Israel in this text. May we be obedient to what you tell us to do, not what we think is best. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song. (laughs) 